first time preaching here at the Brook, but we know Tony's no stranger to the pulpit. He was a pastor for five years at Kaleo Church, who uh, joined with the Brook this past uh, summer and became part of the, the, the Brook family here together. Uh, Tony and his wife, Lamadi, and their family is a great family who love the Lord, love his word, and want to make much of Jesus. And we're excited to have Tony open God's word together with this morning, with us today. And uh, we're confident that God's going to speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear and eyes to see. So let's pray together um, that God would speak to us uh, today as, as the word is preached. Father in heaven, thank you for my brother Tony. Lord, I know he's put in a lot of hours, God, these last couple of weeks in preparation for today. Lord, we know that uh, it's a certain weight that, can, we, that comes with opening your word, but, uh, but God, it's such a joy, such a pleasure, and such a privilege. And Father, for us who are going to be receiving your word today, God, God, I pray that you would prevent us from being hard-hearted, uh, that you give us the ability to discern what you're trying to tell us, Lord. And if it's to surrender our lives to you, let it be, God. If it's to repent, let it be. If it's to worship, let it be, God. In all things, may you receive the glory as Tony uh, opens Ephesians 4 with us today. So we thank you for his faithfulness to prepare, and God, I ask that your spirit would work through him so that you, almighty God, would receive all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' name. us. Amen. Amen. Good morning, family. Good morning. I'm uh, very humbled uh, for the opportunity uh, to share with you God's word this morning. And uh, really a lot of emotions preparing for this. Uh, 2014 was a very difficult, I believe, season or year for my family, for myself. But uh, I just got to say that I'm very uh, humbled by this opportunity again. And I'm very, very grateful that Pastor Eric uh, would give me the opportunity. And I got to say also, Brooke family, that we have a pastor that loves the Lord, him and his wife. And you have a, a very humble pastor and a uh, very wise pastor as well. But uh, very grateful again for that. Those are key uh, characteristics that I believe we need as pastors today. Amen? So if you have been uh, listening to any of the words that you heard that were being sung today, even the passages of scripture in Galatians 2.20 and also Galatians 5, and it was really like the message was already being preached. All I have to do is come and close it up and get ready for a communion. I love it when things fall in place like that. But I would love for us to still grasp this theme or this uh, message that we see throughout scripture, that there is a change of pattern in our life that is expected of us from God. A very hard pattern, may I say, very hard and narrow path of life that we all need to join hands in and walk. Amen? And so as we look at the new year, and we will be reading, I'm sorry, out of Ephesians chapter 4, going through verses 17 and 24. This is Paul. But I want us to kind of just look at where we're at today as a society and where we're at as, uh, as people, we're in January. And I don't know about you, but in, in January, there's, there's all these, these high expectations of myself that I want better. I want to lose weight. I want to change my diet. I want to get out of debt, right? I want a new car or whatever. I want a new job, you know? I want better grades. I want new friends. I want to clean that email out. I mean, there's a lot of things that you just have all these, uh, this ambition to do. And so what, what happens is, you know, not only are we the ones wanting this, but if you are any, uh, have you been at the store lately, but the retail is also 
putting all kinds of tubs on sale, right? Organizers on sale, closet organizers on sale, trash bags are on sale because they, they want you to, to buy into this, right? Get rid of all the, uh, the decorations, right? Get rid of all the trees, get rid of all that, that stuff that you got. Get rid of all the old and make way for the new. And today I want us to, to kind of keep that kind of leaning around in our minds is that we are also are expected to release the old. Take out the old and embrace the new. As Eric was saying earlier, we are new in Christ. And that is the main theme today. We are new in Christ. How new? Entirely new. We are entirely new in Christ, in Christ alone. And when we look at what, what that, 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 that pushes, in a sense, to our minds, it, it, there's a pushback from our hearts. And the reason why there's a pushback in our hearts is because you know it. You try to stop. You try to stop smoking. You try to stop eating the fast food. You try to stop looking at certain things you shouldn't. You, stop, you try to stop drinking. You try, you try all these things on your own effort. And what happens is you fall right back. The gym is calling you. We haven't seen you in a while. What, what's, what's going on? You have like two new pairs of, of sweatsuits and, and two new cross trainers. And, you know, everything's on there. And, and before you know it, you know, you're back in the, in, in the driveway. You're like, give me a number five, supersize. And, and you're eating. And you're just doing all these things. And then you start spending again on the credit cards. You're, you're constantly spending on You just can't stop. And how, how long before that, that, that garage becomes a storage again. You know, February 1st, you can park. March 1st, you can't park no more because you're starting to get all these things again. Why? Because there's something in our heart that is resisting what we really want to do. And, and I'm here to tell you that, you know, we want the out with the old and we want the new, but you can change things, but only Jesus can change you. You can change things, but only Jesus can change you. And I'm sorry if I'm getting, I got to literally warn you, I yell a lot. I'm not mad. I'm not mad at all. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited, and, I, and it helps me get rid of the little jittery that goes along with, uh, with, with bringing the word. But, but, but you have to understand that we can change things, but only Jesus can change you, and Jesus can change who you are. Paul reminds us of that in verse 17, and he's affirming together with the Lord. Uh-oh, that's a big affirm, right? That's like when I tell my daughter, tell your brothers to go wake up. She'll say, Daddy said, wake up, right? And so Paul said, I'm affirming with the Lord, right, that you will walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So what really uh, uh, stands out to me is that he says you will no longer, meaning that all of us used to walk like this. And there's something how we think that we're not as bad as the other person, right? I'm not as bad as that person, I'm not as bad as that person. But realistically, when we look at ourselves and we let the scripture and the word of God open our hearts, we start to see I am terrible, very terrible. I'm covetousness, I'm a liar, I'm a, I'm a deceiver. I want, I want, I want. There's no enough for me. Jealous, envy, all types of those kind of things, right? And those are the kind of things I believe that are the reason of our pattern of walking. And Paul is saying we, we got to stop walking like the Gentiles, right? We have to. And let me just say here, what, what is a Gentile? Because when I was reading this, my first time looking at this, I'm like, well, I'm not a Gentile. I'm a Puerto Rican. I mean, it has nothing to do with me. Where's the passage with the, with the Borinqua in it, right? And it's not there. And what a Gentile really is is basically you're not a Jew. You're not part of the promised family. But Paul is saying in this text is that people that are Gentiles are people that don't have relation with God. 
They don't follow God. They don't, they don't love God. They don't have a desire to serve God or to align their life with God's life and his principles, his truth. But it's their way or the highway, right? It's just, this is the world. This is what we kind of call it today, the world that we live in. So basically, don't, don't walk like the world anymore in the futility of their mind. And this is very offensive. Very offensive when you open up this passage. It should, it should smack you in the face because it, it, he's saying here is, is that a, a futile mind is a pointless mind. It's ineffective. It's usefulness. It's vanity. So basically, a Gentile, or the way we used to walk, is a pointless life. We have no direction in life. We have no purpose in life. Things are meaningless. You know, I was thinking about just uh, how growing up and Humble Heights, at the time it was called Humble Park. And there were things that we kind of did that, that really made no sense at all, like running, right? You know that when I went into high school, it was the first time I saw people actually running because of a sport, right? Because it was because of a sport. See, in, in the neighborhood, what happened is there were three types of, of movement that would take place, right? There was, they don't do this anymore, but there was the, the guy that had no purpose in life, but just basically was just walking, and he would just walk around like this, you know? Say hi to everybody and just be like looking at just that, that's how I walk. Then there's a the one that just they don't want nothing to do with the neighborhood, so all they would do was go to the bus stop and they just you know not looking at nobody, checking their watch, kind of hurrying up trying to get out of there. And then there's the guys that are running, and the guys that are running they're running from somebody, and usually it's either because of another gang or because of the police or somebody's after them, some kind of trouble. And so we can just be sitting on the porch and it's like 12 o'clock at night, 12:30. And everybody would hang out at our porch. I don't know why. You know, we hang out at our porch, and we're just kind of just relaxed, just talking, whatever, pointless conversation. Somebody will get up and run, and we all start running. <laughs> all of us. We're all running. We're, we're gone. And we don't know why we're running. And you're trying to follow the next guy. You're running through gangways. You're jumping over cars. You're like two blocks away where you're out of breath. You're like, what happened? What happened? I don't know. I thought I saw something. What? <laughs> saw what? And you're just, you're just tired, and you're like, like why, do we, why, do we, why do we do this? And we did that day in and, and, and day out because there was, our, our minds were futile. And the, the things that we wanted were just, there was pointless. There was, there was nothing there, no admiration, no direction, no identity, no nothing. We just lived with the emotions of life, right? And did whatever we felt like doing. So Christians and non-believers should not have the same mindset. There should be a difference in the way you think versus a Gentile. There really should be a difference in the way you think, not on everything. You think that movie was good? Oh, yeah, I did. But there are certain things on, on how we raise our kids, our view on marriage, right, our, our things on giving, our, our, our point on gathering together, our, our, our outlook on life, our mission aspect. There should be something different in the, in the way that you rise up in the morning. Did you rise up in the morning? You know, I used to rise up angry. My wife would let me sleep as long as I wanted to sometimes. <laughs> Don't wake up the bear. I used to wake up so angry, upset, but praise God because in Christ, we are a new creation, and he turns your morning into dancing, right? There's a gratitude and a purpose, a sense of, of movement, even as you rise up. In verse 18, he says that being darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. I'm going to jump the gun, but the farthest distance in the world is the distance between your heart and your mind. We call it the 18-inch journey. 
we know so much but do so little. Or we want to do so much but then do so little. There's some kind of disconnect on what we know and what we do because of the disconnect of the heart. And it, it's very obvious. It's almost as if I go to a, a, a surgeon and he's working on my lungs or whatever heart and, and he tells me not to smoke, but he said your smoking joint outside. He knows what it does and the damage that it entails, but there's some kind of disconnection between his heart and what he knows, and we live life like that. We know what we're not supposed to do, and we know what we're supposed to do. You know what I love about Paul, the apostle, is that he was so transparent. The things that he didn't want to do are the things that he did, and the things that he wanted to do, he didn't do. That's Paul, right? The great Paul, the one that we're actually reading the scriptures of, that's Paul. The one that in Damascus, it was blind, and then he actually was seen again. He's seen the Lord, heard from the Lord, appointed as an apostle. It was Paul, and yet he's still saying, man, I'm struggling here. I can't do anything I want to do, and everything I don't want to do, I still do. Amen for that. You should be thankful when you read stuff like that in Scripture. You know, it's not that it's lowering the bar, but it's showing you that, you know, this is not like there's superhumans here, right? And so as we continue on, again, darkened, being darkened. Romans 121 says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. The definition of darkened is basically just darker. Just keeps getting darker, right? And here's the, here's the key, is that the longer you spend time in the dark, the more we believe it's light. The longer you spend time in the dark, the more you believe it's light. And what happens when you come into a room that's dark? You can't see anything at first, right? You're fiddling around trying to like, where's the wall? Where's the wall? Where's the bed? You're fiddling with your feet, whatever. But give it some time, and what happens? Your eyes adjust, and you start to see the shape of things. And then now you can actually see in the dark a little bit. And it's not so bad anymore. And that's what happens is that in the futility of our minds, we became darker in our hearts. And so we really started to think that this is okay. This is all right. I really don't need any help. I think things, things are good. And the, no, but it's because they have the, the hardness of the heart. You know, I work with wood. Some of you guys know that. This actually is an oak uh, table. It's very heavy. And oak is, is, is a, basically called a hard wood. A hard wood means that it has a high density in it a resistance to water. So the fibers inside of it are like, are like this versus like a, a typical two-by-four, a pine, where there's more loose, and you can actually dent it by punching it. But here, you're going to actually hurt yourself. And so when you're, when you're purchasing, like, fine furniture, it's usually made out of hard wood because of its resistance to moisture. And then the only way to actually bend it is what they call steam bending. You'll put a piece of wood, hard wood, and it, it's like a steamer, and you steam it for sometimes hours until it actually softens up and breaks up the fibers. Then you bend it with force, and then you allow it to dry up again in that shape, and it stays in that shape. The problem is some of us have hard hearts that we're resistant to the things of God. We're resistant to when the word is basically calling us to, you know, where to stand and what we should actually draw the line. We're resistant to that. We're resistant to humbling ourselves. We're resistant to being under authority. We're resistant to being in fellowship because we have a hardened heart. There's resistance in us, and then God has to then bring in the pain, right? 
to kind of reform that again. And there's things in life that are going wrong, and that's not what God wants to do, but the only way to break down that hardness of heart is by extreme pressure. It's by extreme pressure. And so when the, the old us, we had some hard hearts, right? I was an oak tree. Hard heart. Hard heart. What are you resisting today? Why are you refusing God to mold you and shape you into the image of his son? That's our old self. But how do we get hardened? Because that's a good question, right? What makes us have a hardened heart? Not just the fertility of our mind, but what makes us? Let me tell you what, what, what three reasons that involve people, right, in my experience. Number one is hurt. Number two is rejection. And number three is selfishness. People hurt people, don't they? When's the last time you got hurt by your car? When's the last time the dog hurt you? When's the last time, you know, the TV hurt you? People hurt people. So one of the areas that causes a hardened heart is you're getting hurt by people. Some of us are in a, an environment that is a lot of hurt coming in your way, right, on a daily basis. And you're constantly hurt by people. Another reason is rejection of people. You're, physic, you're, you're really uh, not accepted. You just feel, why am I left out? Why does anybody call me? Why does anybody want me? Why does anybody include me? Why am I the outsider here? Rejection by people hurts you, right? How about selfishness? That's a big one. The selfish acts of people hurt people. They not only hurt themselves, but they actually hurt people. The thing that you're diving into, that you're continually have self-indulgence in, you think it's not hurting anybody, it's hurting people. You're hurting people in your selfishness. Right? If I put five pork chops out in my house, I say this a lot, we have six of us, somebody's not going to get it, and then somebody's going to get an extra one because they're fighting for that. Out of the selfish act of wanting it, somebody's hurt now. I just brought that down very to a simple state, but not that you're going <laughs> to salvation into that with pork chops, but what I'm saying is that there's, there's, there's selfishness in us for the little things, right? I'd rather you drink all the milk than just leave a little. That was selfish. That was not being courteous to the next person. Just, just get rid of it, right? So there's, there's tons of, if you just walk through your house, you'll see there are, there's acts of acts or, 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 or things of, I should say, cases of cases of selfishness, even in your own home, in your own home. Just, just be very observant of that. So three things that, and there's more, but, but just those three alone, man, that can make, that can cause a hardened heart. But you know what else that causes? And, and, and Paul talks about it next. It also becomes a callous heart. A callous heart. Let's look at verse 19. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Callous. You know what callous signifies? It's a thickening of an outward skin, particularly like hands and, and feet, construction workers, you know, athletes, stuff like that. They get them a lot. By repeated exercise or use through which such parts are rendered insensible. So basically, it's an area of the skin that gets rubbed the wrong way for a long period of time, and before you know it, it builds a callus, and you don't longer have any feeling there anymore. It doesn't look very pretty, but things don't hurt anymore. And what happens with a hardened heart that is not addressed, it becomes callous. And so now things that used to hurt don't hurt anymore. And now you're in a danger zone. You're in a danger zone. You don't even care what happens in life anymore. You just don't care no more. It's just, it's just, there's nothing there that really that should be convicting doesn't convict you anymore. You have a callous heart. 
And so the farther you are away from the sun, the colder it gets. The colder it gets. Paul says that our, our old selves were giving over to sensuality and the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Sensuality is, is basically self-explanatory. It's all over the media. It's the pursuit of sexual pleasures and sexual attraction. Basically giving over to sexual desires. And Hollywood and, and the sales of porn all over the internet are billion-dollar industries today. Billion-dollar industries today. And all it's screaming is that there's a problem with sensuality, that people are just giving over to it completely, out of control, not stopping them. And if you look at movies today, it just continues, continues to get, I mean, you might as well just rate everything rated R. Why even put PG-13 on something, right? It just is terrible out there sometimes. But you start to see that there's this movement that continues to get further and further away from a soft heart into a hardened heart. D.L. Moody said, our greatest fear should not be failure, but of succeeding at something that doesn't really even matter. What are you living for again? Let me ask you that. What's, what's your drive? What is it that's going to give you that pleasure, right? And it's basically, some of us, it's, impure, it's, it's impurity and it's greediness, because that's what our old self was. Our old selves were living towards for the success of things that have no eternal rewards. They have no eternal rewards. We get all bent out of shape about them. But they have no eternal rewards. Charles Spurgeon quoted, There are no crowns that are worn in heaven who are not cross-bearers on earth. There's a reward in heaven. And sometimes we forget that. We're day in and day out, and we're giving of ourselves, and, and we're, we're giving to the cause of the mission. And we start thinking, what good is this? Especially when we don't see the results we want. But family, be reminded that there's a crown for you. Amen? Your treasure is in heaven. There is a place being prepared for you, even as we speak. And I, I just encourage you to keep moving in that direction. Move in the direction of the new life that we find in Christ. Verse 20, but you did not learn Christ in this way. Here Paul gives us great news, right? There's a but, because as you're reading through, it kind of seems like we're going further and further away from God. But now he turns it in uh, verse 20. But you did not learn Christ in this way. You, who's he talking about? Us. We did not learn Christ in this way. There's a huge portion of the walk in Christ that involves teaching and discipleship. Huge. You know, you get saved, but now there's a portion that you need to start walking and being taught how to live this out, this new life in Christ. And you have to take a, the posture of a disciple. A disciple is a learner, somebody that's just learning for life, an attitude that says, you know, I, I want to learn, you know. And in Matthew's uh, chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Learn from me. Jesus is telling us to take on his yoke, signifying an act of surrender. A surrender. Whatever I'm going, whatever I'm doing, I'm surrendering it. I take on your yoke. You teach me, right? Ask any teacher what is the most difficult student. The difficult, most difficult student is the one that knows it all. Right? You ever talk to people like that? You're talking to them, and they, they, you can tell they just, well, you just think you know it all, don't you? Like, I don't know why I'm talking to you. There's no point in even talking to you because you're not going to learn nothing from me, and all you want to really do is tell me what you know. You ever been around people? Like they just can't learn. 
They can't learn anymore because they think they really have arrived or that they know it all. But I tell you that we, I mean, Christ is saying, be humble, learn, right? Why? Because if indeed, verse 21, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in what? Jesus. Truth is in Jesus. That's unheard of today, right? People, what is truth? Whatever is true to you is true to you. Whatever is true to me is true to me. No, there has to be truth. There really has to be truth. And Jesus is, Jesus is the truth. Paul is reiterating that. The truth is found in what? Jesus. The truth is found in Jesus. I heard it best explained this way. It's not that people don't know the truth. They just don't like the truth. Ain't that true? It's not that we don't know the truth, we just don't like the truth. Is that true? Right? It is. I don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear something else. So if the truth is in Jesus, then our true identity is found only in Jesus, because he's the truth. Any other identity you're putting on is basically a costume. The truth is found in Jesus, so our identity is found in who? Jesus. The more we stray from the truth, the worse things get. Verse 22, that in reference to our former manner of life, now, Pez, now Paul says, okay, back to the former manner of life. You lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Lust always is deceiving, isn't it? It's always deceiving. And Paul is saying here, back to the former manner of life. I want you to lay it aside. Lay it aside. Put it away. Put it aside. Just get rid of it. Don't even pick it up again. Right? Leave it there. Lay it aside. And he says in verse uh, 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 23, and that you may be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The spirit of your mind. And put on the new self, which is in likeness of God, who has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Spirit of mind I see in Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we were talking, not only our spirit, what's happening here, but also our mind, he's saying, let's, let's bring that together here. Let's bring that together here. Take off the old, put on the new, put on your new identity, put on Christ, Put on the new expectation. Put on the new manner of life. Put on the spirit of God. How many of us know that the Holy Spirit, Eric hit on this last week, one baptism, one spirit. How many of us know that there is a spirit, which is called the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God that lives within us? And how many of you guys know that even when you're sleeping, he's working? Even when you're not even thinking of him, he's working. He's constantly moving and plowing away at your heart. And helping the image of Christ to come forth out of your life. Right? Are you participating in that with him? Are you su submitting under those convictions that they're there and they're really real, right? They're very real. But they're hard sometimes, right? They're hard. Verse 24, so put on the new self. Put on the new self. Take off the old and put on the new, right? And how do we do that? Well, I believe there's a few ways to do that. These are the kind of things I want to just park here for, with, and uh, we'll be closing soon. But that is, putting on a new self starts with a decision, right? Now, I don't know how it is in your home on Saturday night, 
but I'm pretty sure you're ch- looking at what you're going to wear for Sunday. Because I don't know what it is about Sunday. Sunday, we just got to, like, kind of beef it up a little bit, take it up another notch, right? And so you're, you're thinking about what you're going to wear. Some of us are even ironing our clothes on Saturday night, getting ready, right? Sunday, you're even looking at it again, change it up a little bit. Then you start rolling it in your head. Oh, what is sister going to think about this or brother going to think about this, right? And you're just kind of like, you're thinking about it, right? But there's a, a conscious decision that's taking place, thank you, that's, you're thinking forward about what you're going to wear. You're thinking ahead of what you're going to put on. Why? Because you're concerned about how you look. The same thing with Christ. Put them on. In the morning, say, Lord, I put you on today. Put the armor of God on, right? Reiterate the promises of God that you're a new creation, right? Ask him, what do you want me to do today? Who do I'm going to talk to today? How can I be used today? When am I going to speak to so-and-so? And, and you, you have to think about that before, because if you don't, you just wake up, you're just going to roll out of bed, probably be wrinkled, go to work or school, probably didn't brush your teeth, didn't eat breakfast, and you're going to just roll on with the day. And you do that day in and day out. Stop. Think ahead. Make a conscious decision to say that I today put on my new self. I put aside my old self. And that takes effort. That takes effort. Don't say, Lord, I'm just going to wait until you put it on. Right? There comes a time as a parent where you cannot wait until your child learns how to put on their own clothes and put them on right. Amen? just can't. You're just like, man, it is so good that they just get dressed. And you're just, and I, the Father, want, put it on. He's saying, put on Christ. He's available. He's right there. Put him on. Right? Romans 6, uh, 6 says that we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Die to yourself. You hear that a lot in the Christian faith. Die to yourself. Come on, sister. Die to yourself. Brother, die to yourself. What does that mean? I'm alive. You know, what do you want me to die? (laughs) Die to yourself is... Not doing what you want, but what he wants. Not doing what you want, but what he wants. Martin Luther says that sin, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther says that sin is humanity bent inward. Sin is humanity bent inward. When we sin, we are making ourselves God. When we sin, we are serving only ourselves and pleasing only ourselves. It's a decision. You have to say that I will not. You already have been given the Holy Spirit. What, what's the excuse now? Nobody calls you? You can't hold on to that too long. You have to reach out, right? I need help. I, I, I need a brother and sister, right? And that, that, that brings me to my next one. Stay in community. Stay in community. The farther you're away, right, the colder you get. Stay in community. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called, what? Today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. 
Why do we get together? It's not to show off the clothes, okay? Let me reiterate that. Okay? We get together because we need to be reminded. We need to be encouraged. If you walk out of here, and let me just say this. One of the things that, that hurts me the most about our, our uh, gathering on Sundays is how we have people here willing to pray with you. And I only ever see one or two people to basically come up to prayer. That hurts me. Because I know me, I need prayer all the time. And if I have somebody saying at a church service that I'm giving you the opportunity to come and I'll pray with you, bear the burden together, exalt the Lord in this, and rage war with you in prayer, and you're saying, no, I don't need that. There's something wrong with that. This is not a public bathroom where you go in and do your business and get out without touching anything. This is the family of God. We get messy together. And we depend on one that cleans us all up. Right? The newness in him. Why should there be a flood? The whole church come up for like a <laughs> prayer and everything. Right? No. Stay in community. There's something about out of community when you're, when you're out there. You know, there's, there's, there's all these comparisons with the shepherd and the sheep. And we're the sheep, not the shepherd. We're the sheep. And Jesus and God is our shepherd. And you see that when, we, when the sheep strays away, one strays away, it's very likely that he'll be attacked by a wolf or some other predator out there. So the longer you're dangling around out there by the fence, don't expect anything good out of that. You're leaving yourself accessible for attack, for danger, and even for your own self-destruction by nature. Because some of us are very self-destructive. You leave us alone too long and we'll destruct our own selves. We don't even need help from the devil on that. We just do it ourselves. But I'm telling you, stay in community. Get plugged into your RC. Stay connected through the phone, through Facebook. Do whatever you got. Don't say, well, I'm waiting for somebody. I'm going to see how this church is and wait to see who calls me. That is the wrong attitude. You call somebody. You spend some time with somebody else. Right? Stop playing the victim all the time. Take ownership of, of your walk in the Lord. Put on the new self. Join in with somebody that's also new. And start to walk it together. Amen? Stay in community. Right? Number three, remember who you are. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Not an old creation. A new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a Christ follower. You have been made entirely new. You have been made entirely new because in Christ, you're a new creation. You guys know I like to, me and my wife like to decorate too. We like, you know, putting up pictures decorating the furniture and all that kind of stuff. And that's nice. It makes it look nice. But how many of you guys know that a real remodel happens when you get past the wall? When you get past that skeleton and get to the organ and find out how are these pipes, how is the electrical doing in this house? Because everything else is just a cover-up. It looks nice. But the functionality is not right. And what Jesus does, he gets past the layer. The Holy Spirit's past the layer. And then he pulls in. He's in there. And he sees all the things that ain't working right. He sees what's disconnected. He sees what's plugged up. He sees what's leaking. He sees it all. Same in him. Embrace that. Be thankful that you have a God that knows you and wants this. And is 
Amen? And so again, we have some ideas there, staying in community, remembering who you are, right? Uh, choosing to die to self, living for him and not yourself. But I want to leave you with this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stay in the process. Stay on the narrow path. One of the things my son told me before is that the, the, the path is so narrow that I can't even sit on it. And it's true. That's the whole point. You're not supposed to sit on it. It's all for him. It's all for you. I, wanna, I have an analogy I want to close it up with right now. And I'd like uh, for Val and Chris to come over. Come on up. Come on up. I'm actually going to get back at them right now. So <laughs> making fun of me. No. But I want to. So, if you want to go on a honeymoon again, that's fine. It's, it's all good. The picture that I see here, and we've been doing this on Fridays, going through real marriage, is that there is uh, something that's very symbolic about marriage is beyond what we see on TV, right? And in, in marriage, you have two individuals coming together. As we learned on Friday, two sinners Right? Coming together, causing more sin. Right? But we have two sinners coming together. We have two people coming together. And the beauty of this is that we have two people coming together in Christ. Right? The woman, okay, what happens is she comes and she basically gives up her whole identity. She takes on now his last name. She is now part of a new family. Right? If you want to go over, you know, taking on a new family, a new identity, and a new purpose. She's still all hers, okay? Don't get it twisted. She isn't some kind of slave or something like that. But she comes in under a new name, a new identity, new purpose, new family. And likewise, she no longer can think about herself. It's not just about Chris. It's about Val, too. It's about the Lord. And so his heart now is now connected with God in a commitment. room to her in a sense, watching her with the word, amen, serving her as the Lord gave up himself right, for the church. And so you see this pattern that even when we come as a new believer is that we come with all this baggage, right? And God says, I take you and now I claim you as mine. I paid the sacrifice already. I paid for you. You just have to say I do. He comes in and he takes you. He gives you a new name brings you into a new family, the church. He gives you all the things that you need. And not only that, but he says, and when the time comes, I'm coming back to you. What an awesome God we serve. Amen? What an awesome God we serve. You make it right now. You go ahead and, and sit down. And sit down right there. I'd like Eric uh, to come up. And again, I just want to remind you in closing that in Christ, you are totally new. In Christ, you are totally new. And it doesn't take long for you to wander off, does it? When's the last time you closed your eyes at like a playground or something and you see like a tree and you're like, hmm, let me see if I close my eyes how long it will take me to get there. Before you know it, you open up, you drifted off the target. And you're only walking, you're not even running. So in this walk, you can easily drift. You can easily be straight away. You can be taken off course. 
I encourage you again, remind yourself who you are. Choose Christ today in Christ alone. Put on the new self, take off the old, right? Stay in community, amen? Stay in community. Fight, fight to stay on that narrow path and walk it out. Let me just pray with you, brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you because it's your words. You've given us such clear path to you. I thank you that you've created the sacrifice. You provided that for us, Lord, in Jesus. You've done whatever you had to do to remove the obstacles. And, Lord, there are obstacles in some of our hearts still. Some of us have not come to a place of total surrender to you. We're still trying to live on the fence on both sides. Some of us are totally on the opposite side, and we're just, we don't, we don't want that. We don't want the truth. But Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the Christ Messiah. Jesus is the provided sacrifice for us, for our atonement. And Lord, I just pray for those never to let a day go by and not take advantage to seize the opportunity to be reunited with you, Lord, through Christ. And I pray for the brothers and sisters that are here today that have wandered off, their hearts are a little cold, they've grown callous, they've grown cold to the things of God, there's no passion any longer for the knowledge of God or, or what they know in Him. I'm praying today, Lord, that you may make that afresh today. May you bring to gather, uh, gathering around them community that lifts them up in prayer holds them by the hand, walks with them. We pray, Lord, that everyone make that choice to take off the old, put on the new. Father, we're asking you to help us as we want to live for ourselves at times. Totally live for you. Holy Spirit, thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.